What's up? What's up? It is time for Believe in Queens. We are now seven episodes in. Myself, Joe Serralo, my man, Tyler Ward. You know him from YouTube and Twitter at Wardy NYM. Make sure you hit that like, smash that subscribe button for my man right there. Catch me on Twitter at the Joe Serralo and on Instagram at Joe Serralo. We've got the best Mets news on the market. We've got a lot to get to this episode, a Padres preview. Of course, wrapping up the All-Star Game festivities this week out in my new city of L.A. We've got trade buzz. Guys, is Juan Soto going to be a Met? We know he wants to be a Met. We'll get to it. Tyler, a lot has gone into getting this episode together behind the scenes, my man. It's been a shit show tonight. How are you doing, bro? It could be a little bit better, <laughs> but you know we're here right now. It's okay. We're gonna we're gonna chug along through this one. I know you had technical issues for a while. Myself, I'm on vacation right now. I'm currently recording on a ping pong table with the bar behind me. So we're all set. We're ready to go. There's a lot to talk about. I'm excited. Mets baseball is back. It felt like a century, and now we have all these endless topics to break down, Joe. Let's just hop right in. But can we can we clarify something first? Because you called it a ping pong table. Tyler, yeah. you're recording on a beer pong table right now. You're on vacation. Okay, let's, fair, let's, fair. No one's playing ping pong on vacation in uh, on it's, the beach on the East Coast. Actually, my, my brother begs to differ. He's a very <laughs> stern, a guy, huh? strong, he's a big ping pong guy and a cocky one too. But wow. I'd be lying if the last time I played on this table wasn't beer pong. So you are right. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Let's dive in. But first, got to remind all of you that this show and every show, every episode of Believe in Queens is brought to you by our proud sponsors, over at Bet Online, head on over to Bet Online for the latest news, odds, and developments. The second half of the MLB season officially opened yesterday. I guess now that you're listening to this, it's Friday. So yesterday had a couple double headers, had some late night rivalry action. Dodgers, Giants, baseball is back and underway. We've got NFL futures. You can start betting on Week One. You can start betting on division winners, even Super Bowl winners. So head over to Bet Online. Use the code Believe. That's B L E A V for your 50% welcome bonus and let the games begin. Let's let the show begin. The Padres are coming to town, Tyler, but I don't know. I know the bullets go a certain way. I think we got to start with the last one, Juan Soto. I mean, that's just, that's the news. That's the rumors that everyone is talking about right now. Tyler, what are your thoughts on Juan Soto and Scott Boris, who historically did not have a good relationship with the Wilpons, now has a great relationship with Uncle Stevie. Soto and Boris want him in Queens. Do you believe in Juan Soto coming to Queens? I believe in Juan Soto coming to Queens. I think it's just a matter of the contacts. Uh, contacts. It's not the matter of if, but rather when, right? Because Juan Soto, in case you guys aren't aware, look, I've talked so much about this man over the past week. A game begin to tell you. Uh, it's getting the tip of the iceberg still up until the trade deadline uh, here on the YouTube channel. But what I do know is that Juan Soto, let's not forget last year on Instagram, he posted a very cryptic photo of himself looking looking up in City Field and talking with hashtags of future and, you know, dream that it basically feels like, yeah, Juan Soto wants to be in New York. And when we all saw the news over the past week that he denied that $440 million extension over five years with the Nationals, you got the idea, okay, Soto, is he going to be dealt this year? There's a great potential that he may. There's also potential that he might not be because the Nationals don't need to rush this. But it's always been a belief from the many, including myself, that Juan Soto will end up in New York whether that's a New York Yankee uniform or a New York Mets uniform. he just He's not just arguably the best player in baseball at the age of 23 as a young phenom, but he's a guy that handles the bright stage. He handles the big lights. He even said it 
an interview during the All-Star break. You know, he's asked about the prospect of coming to the New York Mets, and he kind of twists his words in the best way that Scott Boris would probably tell him to and said, yeah, I love playing against the New York Mets. I love playing in City Field. Look at my numbers there. You know, I love every single thing about it. But he went pretty in detail, and there's no denying that Soto would be not just an amazing get, but could take this team over the top to being a World Series contender. You see Starley Marte right backing this man up during the home run derby, which I found funny. Now, there were some reports that maybe he's a cousin. I don't know if that's true or not. I do know that Marte and Soto go way back, way before Soto's playing career in the MLB even began. So, you know, if we're going to try to do some connections now, let's let's start and do just that. That's what Marte did his best recruiter job during his time there in the home run derby backing Soto. But I look at this Mets team, I look at Juan Soto, I look at Scott Boris, and I look at all the teams involved that I could potentially land Juan Soto via trade. And truly the only way I do not see Juan Soto landing with the Mets is the same reason why no one else sees Juan Soto landing with the Mets, and that's because we're in the division, right? If this was not an at least rival with a stubborn Mike Rizzo at GM, who's already pissed off as is that he couldn't lock down his young phenom and a team that's at a rebuild slash retool, knowing how much it's going to set back this organization, regardless on the haul that they get. Losing Juan Soto is going to directly impact that Nationals fan base. It's going to directly impact revenue, especially with ownership going on. They're in limbo of trying to get new ownership as we speak. It's, it's an entire hellhole that's going on in D.C. right now. So I can understand why Soto via trade would not happen solely based on destination alone. Rizzo doesn't want to do that, even if the Mets pony up and say, hey, we'll take on a Corbin a Strasburg, maybe we'll even take on Mad Max's deferred money because he's still owed millions over the next couple of years in D.C. But what we do know, and I think you could probably agree with me this on, Joe, is that regardless on if Soto is dealt or not this deadline, there's one, a select few teams that actually can extend him, and two, there's still a great land in free agency regardless on where he lands by the deadline should he be dealt somewhere. So as I said in the beginning, and I will say where Soto lands, if at all, by the deadline, I feel damn confident in saying that he will land in New York as a Yankee or a Met. And if I'm a betting man, I really do love the chances of Steve Cohen coming out and throwing half a billion dollars at this guy when the time is right. Hopefully sooner than later, hopefully we have breaking news to announce in a week, week and a half from now. But at worst, we're a couple years away from the phenom potentially landing in Queens. What's your thoughts, Joe? Yeah, well, a lot to unpack there. I mean, look, I do agree with you. I think that Juan Soto at the latest will be a Met by 2025. And I am confident in that. And as confident as I am in saying that he will be a Met by 2025, I'm equally as confident in saying he will not be a Met by August 2nd, 2022. I just don't think it makes sense for Juan Soto to be a Met in the next two weeks. I would love it. I mean, the the thought of a lineup one to six of Nimmo, Marte, Soto, Alonzo, Lindor in the five spot with almost 70 first half RBI. McNeil hitting sixth, contending for a batting title. And then Kana, Escobar, and uh, the catcher position going seven, eight, nine. I mean, that is a, a borderline sexual thought of mine. Having I don't Soto. think it's borderline, Joe. <laughs> I think it's full on, actually. Yeah, the, the, the thought of Soto hitting third in this lineup, which is already a stacked lineup that's ready to contend for a World Series. I, I mean, I'm salivating at the thought of that, right? I just don't think it's going to happen. And there's a couple of reasons. First off, right now, the Nationals have all the power. The Nationals will have all the power from now until August 2nd. Make no mistake about it. Now, I disagree with your division point, because when you look at the Nationals, this is a team that 
is going to have new ownership probably in the next two years. This is a team that's going to have a new front office, probably a new coaching staff, right? When when they sell the team and new owners come in, they're probably going to clean house. So their current owners really don't give a shit about the Mets 10 years from now because they're not competing with the Mets in the near future and they're not going to own the team in the distant future. So I really don't think that in this instance, being a divisional rival means anything because the Nationals are 27 and a half games back from the Mets this year, and they will not compete for the NL East probably until there's new owners in the picture. Uh, I think, though, the biggest reason that the Mets wouldn't execute a deal between now and August 2nd, it's not because we can't. It's because Steve Cohen's no dummy. And Rizzo is going to try to fleece the Mets in a deal. They've already said they want our top four prospects, which would be, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Alvarez, Beatty, Mauricio and Vientos, right? Those are our top four and guys. That, right and that is with the assumption more than likely that the Mets at minimum take on one of Corbin or Strasburg's contract. That's based for on Corbin. Numerous, yeah, that, that, that is the belief that I've seen also from sources I know are connected in the Mets organization. Now, again, you can take that with grain of salt all you want, but the people that I'm currently in contact with have been the same people that have been on the money about everything really since the beginning of last offseason. So they have a good yeah. grasp on what's happening right now. And two major league ready guys as well, like a Peterson and McGill. Exactly. I saw McNeil, yep. even though McNeil is going to be a free agent at the end of the year, that didn't make too much sense to me. And I'm not mm-hmm. giving McNeil up. I'm sorry. But, you know, so the Nationals, I mean, their asking price right now is astronomical. But I will say this if winter rolls around and Juan Soto is still a national come the winter, all of a sudden the Mets prospect pool gets that much deeper. You've got maybe the Mets don't want to part ways with Alvarez. They part ways with Kevin Parada. The guys who the Mets just drafted, by the way, MLB Pipeline rated the Mets draft the number one draft in the they MLB. Kill it every single year, man. They've done such a good job year in and year out in the draft. It, it, it always gets overlooked, I feel like. Huge props to the entire scouting staff. They've done a phenomenal job. Yeah, absolutely. And so these guys can't be traded till December 15th. So all of a sudden, yep. if Soto is still a national come winter meetings, well, the Mets have the power. The Mets have complete power because the Mets can say, well, we're not going to give you this catcher who's the number two prospect in all of baseball, but Parada by December 15th could be the fifth best catching prospect in all of baseball. And the Mets could choose which catcher to give up. The Mets could choose Mauricio or Jet Williams, which shortstop to give up. The Mets could say, hey, we're not giving up Beatty, but maybe we'll give you Jet Williams and Mauricio. And you can put one of them at third or one of them at second. The Mets have the power in the winter. So it, it it's a bit of a gamble. It's a bit of a Russian roulette game here, but for the Mets, I think it pays off to sit tight until August 2nd, because when December rolls around, the Mets will have more control and more power in a Soto negotiation. And, you know, if the Nationals do deal him before August 2nd to a St. Louis, or as my good friend Casey Stern mentioned on my national radio show last night, Sorallo Sports Talk, to a Seattle, well then the Mets would have to just live with, you know, waiting until 2025. They still have a damn good team. But, you know, a team like St. Louis, a team like Seattle, if they trade for Soto, I I see it being a two and a half year, you know, stay in one of those cities. I don't see that coming with a 12 to 15 year extension. So the best case for the Mets is that he doesn't get dealt. And then in December, they hold all the power. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. And look, I'm not going to sit here and say that if the Mets still gave up the entire farm right now for Juan Soto, I wouldn't be ecstatic because I absolutely would be. I mean, as much as as we love to prospect hug, especially when the Mets currently have like the number one ranked prospect in baseball, 
and Francisco Alvarez and are really building this farm into something special in a very short period of time. These are all guys that have potential at best to be a quarter at in, in their prime of their career. But Juan Soto already is at the age of 23. So when yeah. weighing those differences, you're like, okay, yeah, I'm taking Juan Soto any and every day of the week. I don't care what you have to give up for him. Give him a Kane's ransom. I would still do it 100%. But when evaluating, again, the other options out there, you know, you look at the teams that could be a potential fit long term. And the Yankees, they are committed to parting ways with Aaron Judge the same way that Aaron Judge feels like he's committed to parting ways with the Yanks. Or you have the Dodgers, for instance, because the Dodgers are freeing up a good amount of cap after this year, even though it's not really cap. Trey Turner's a free agent. They have some big ones that they know they need to sign. But they do say hypothetically went all in on Soto. That's like, okay, that is a team that you always have to be concerned by. Can they sway him enough? to lock him down long-term. But when looking at these other big contending teams that are in the mix right now, and the Padres, and the Cardinals, and the Mariners, that is a more recent team that we've seen over the past 24 to 48 hours, you're right. These are teams that I do not expect whatsoever to be able to cough up over $500 million in an extension. I mean, it just it ain't going to happen. You know, Padres with that $700-plus million infield, no chance. Cardinals, I'm not, I'm, I'm, if I'm a betting man, I'm saying no chance considering they've struggled enough to build a competent team around Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. They're a good ball club, but have they been able to take that uh, next step, get over the hump in a little bit? No, they haven't. And there's reason for that. And then you have Seattle that's still very much on the come up. They're always cap strapped, if you will. They're always balling on a little bit of a budget. Even when they are at their best spending wise, they're still a shell of so many other contending teams. So I agree with you 100%. That it would be in the best interest, more than likely, if Soto stays pat, goes to the offseason. And I, I I, would imagine that's probably what Rizzo's going to do. Now, of course, anything can change. This is a very fluent situation. My God, by the time this comes out, maybe later in the same day or the following day, we find out that Juan Soto's close to being dealt somewhere. Like, who knows what can happen leading up this deadline. But what I do know is that for Mike Rizzo and the Nationals, if you're weighing options on potential suitors, you're going to have more suitors than ever in the offseason than you are right now with only select few teams that are willing enough to pony up the dough prospect capital-wise that are contending clubs. I mean, it's a whole new ball game. It seems are really interested on taking that risk. I think a very sneaky team as well to keep an eye on, more so in the offseason than now, could be the Baltimore Orioles. They're willing to spend some money. They're a team that's on the come up. I know it may surprise you, but they were a team as well that was a sleeper for Carlos Correa on a long-term deal. So I don't think it's completely outlandish to say that they would potentially be in on Soto too. Just, in, just a team to consider. Don't be surprised if you see teams like them in the mix is my point. But again, Mike Rizzo, we will see what he does with the Nationals. Speaking of the Nationals, I know you saw this on Twitter earlier today, which was hilarious for Jonathan Papelbon, a man that I very much so was not a fan of during his time. Not with the Red Sox, but when he was a national at Philly, how could you like him as a Mets fan? But I actually was, loved him because he tried choking out Bryce Harper. Well, of course, there was that anomaly of his situation. You're absolutely right. But, I mean, overall, Papelbon, we saw him tweet today. A lot of people were wondering if this was his Twitter, and it actually was. And he said how, you know, and this is what goes in hand with the title and everything, because I, I don't believe he's far off here. I, I'm pretty sure he's accurate in the sense that, yeah, Juan Soto wants to go to the Mets according to Scott Boris, but Mike Rizzo is going to be that petty, stingy type GM and not make it happen, you know, for different reasons. So it was funny hearing that from him. I'm not sure what made him come out and say that. I don't know if he ended his career with the Nationals on the right foot. I'm really not aware. Obviously not, yeah. Yeah, I mean, why else would he say that, right? But again, Juan Soto is an amazing talent. I, I expect to talk about him more on my channel leading up to the deadline. We'll probably talk about him at least once more on the pod before the trade deadline. 
And look, we would all love him on this team, and I'm damn excited to find out where he is going to land. I do believe the Mets have that financial flexibility that no other team can pony up with regarding taking on one or both of Corbin Strasburg's deal if they really, really are trying to push something now. However, that's still far-fetched. This is still premature, and it's going to be a very fluent situation as we get to the deadline. But is there anything else you want to add with Juan Soto at this juncture, Joe? No, I mean, look, you know, we'll see where things go. Just like, you know, to use another New York example, the Donovan Mitchell talks last week were hot as hell. Bingo. And yeah. then they, they cooled down a bit. You know, I think if anything, there's a better chance of Mitchell landing in New York sooner than Soto. But I really do believe both of them will be here for our uh, for our Mets fan audience who are also Knicks fans. You know, Tyler, we kind of started with the last bullet. I think it just makes sense to keep going backwards. Let's sure. hit some trade buzz, man, because I think – and, you know, I'm not comparing the two by any means, so don't get my words twisted. But I think that there is another national who can be just as helpful in landing the Mets a World Series trophy this year, and that's Josh Bell. And I think it's a lot more realistic, and I think he'll be really damn cheap. Tyler, you know, you've, you've known that I've been on the Josh Bell train for a long time. I didn't want to talk Vogelbach. I didn't want to talk even Mancini as much as I love him. I'm laser focused on what, and that's not a knock on Mancini. I'm just laser focused on Josh Bell. The Mets have struggled against lefties this year. Bell's been raking from both sides of the plate, hitting better than 290 from each side of the dish. He's the guy to me. He's the only guy. I don't want a DH platoon. I want a guy who, whether he's batting righty or lefty, can hit over 290. Whether he's batting righty or lefty, can hit for pop, can drive in runs. He's got over 50 RBI, about 90-something games through the year. I'm on the Josh Bell train. To me, he's the only DH I want. Tyler, where do you stand on that? My stance is Josh Bell has always been my number one guy. However, I'm not going to scoff at the notion of landing someone else one bit. And the reason why I say that is the Mets, they have a lot of options right now. And since the last time we recorded, including what happened earlier today at the time recording this, I covered it in a separate live stream. The Mets have shown interest in a lot of players. They are now up to 10. I have on my notepad right here, as a matter of fact, they've shown interest lean up to the trade deadline. A lot of them are bats, some of them we've already discussed and the Trey Mancini's of the world. The more recent guys are the Daniel Vogelback, so I'm curious to know what your opinion is. I know that a lot of people scoff at the notion. However, I would like to emphasize one thing and one thing clear regarding someone like him before we get to Bell to wrap things up on this discussion. Vogelback in the scenario where he landed with the Mets would be exactly what Dom Smith never could be for the Mets this year. I said it once, and I'll say it again. He absolutely murders right-hand pitching. He's buying 260 with a 900 OPS. Has almost all of his offensive production against right-handers. He can't hit a lick against lefties what whatsoever. He's having a career year. He's a 145 WRC plus versus right-handers, which is 45% better than the average batter in baseball right now. So if the Mets landed someone in Vogelback, one, you're not giving up much. He has a mutual option at the end of the year. He's a free agent in 2025 overall. But he's someone that can come in, be off the as DH slash off the bench, specifically as a righty specialist when the Mets want him in there. He gives me similar vibes of what the Braves had last year and the Solaires, the Duvals, or even the Eddie Rosarios of the world, and maybe guys that were slept on on the deadline but exceeded expectations. And I, I don't view this as a Will Ponzi move as long as this is only one of multiple offensive moves the Mets make. That is something that I would also like to emphasize. So I'm not against Vogelback. Go get him. I would love him off the bench. I don't think that's a bad idea. He doesn't have any defensive upside for you, but he does have that big slugging bat with already 12 bombs on the year, which is something that Dom Smith has zero of. So, I mean, how can you go wrong when upgrading in that sense? But going back to Josh Bell, he is the cream of the crop. He is 1,000% the guy you want. What, what you got for me, Joe? 
No, that, 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 that's my point. Like Vogelbach hits home runs, right? But Josh Bell hits, he's got the same amount of home runs, if not one more, hits for higher average, hits oh, from yep. both. And, and the big thing is both sides of the plate. You mentioned, you know, Vogelback, we'd probably still keep J.D. Davis and be running a Vogelback J.D. Davis platoon. It's like, why would you do that when you can just get one bat instead of needing to make multiple offensive moves like you just mentioned? Give me the one guy who can do it all and do it well. I mean, Bell hits lefties better than JD currently is this season. And he hits righties, I think, better than Vogelback. Vogelback may have more pop against righties, but Bell's getting on base more, higher average. I mean, driving him more runs. To me, it's like, that's why it's, because if you get Vogelback, he's not going to be an everyday player. Josh Bell could bat fifth or sixth in this lineup every single day. Yeah, and I agree with you. And I think when it comes to someone like Josh Bell, And let me keep in mind that as of today, the Mets have officially been reportedly connected to Josh Bell. Further on Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez, I want to talk to you about in a minute, along with CJ Crone, Nelson Cruz. We've talked about Cruz before, so we don't need to expand much there. But there's a laundry list of batters that the Mets have shown a recent interest in. But Bell, to your point, the only reason why I could see Bell not happening and the Mets do go the platoon route is simply because they maybe don't want to pony up a top prospect. Who knows how stingy Mike Rizzo may be for Bell? Regardless on if he's a rental. rental. I I know you don't think that, Joe, but trust me when I say anything is possible. If the Mets do not land Josh Bell, I promise you the value is going to be the exact reason why. It's not going to be because of a lack of interest or thinking that it's better to go a different route. So let me hear your take on that. Would you give up Alexi Ramirez for Josh Bell? Alex Ramirez? Uh, Alex, excuse me. Alexi was what, the old uh, White Sox shortstop? Yeah. Yeah, no, I wouldn't wouldn't give up Alex Ramirez any day of the week for Josh Bell. I would. He's the top. He's the highest I'd go on the prospect list. I'd give him up for Josh Bell. He's our top prospect. I wouldn't wouldn't even sniff that idea. Yeah, I I would. I mean, look, we gave up our top outfield prospect for a rental last year. And they're not trying to do that again. That's what I mean. It, it didn't it, hurt us. We're doing just fine. We're a better team this year. I'm not Trevor you know, Williams. <laughs> look, <laughs> prospects are cool. Parades are a lot cooler. I understand that. That's I get what you're saying. But the point is, is the Mets are trying to find a way to make this parade happen while having more consistent ones, right? I yeah, mean, the, if they're going to the shell out, going to cost Beatty. He's not going to cost Alvarez. He's not probably even going to cost a Mauricio. If you're going to give up Marie, if you're going to give up Ramirez, though, do it in the Soto deal. You don't do that for a rental and Bell. I think personally, you're going to want more cool. than Ramirez for Soto. No, I know, but I'm saying Ramirez could be a factor is my point. all right he so then would you give up mauricio most- knowing that jet williams is you know is waiting is a, a 14th overall as long, as long as mauricio is a situation where he wouldn't be utilized somewhere better potentially down the line yes i would okay. be more willing based on the current like depth of the mets prospect pool however i do know that there just is a risk for them on that front but again you have to give to give to take so i understand that I know that I might be coming off a little contradictive, but personally, Ronnie Mauricio, I don't view nearly as highly as I do Alex Ramirez. I think Alex Ramirez has a lot of potential for the New York Mets in their farm. Mauricio, I just don't see where he would be. That's my biggest issue. Well, so that's the thing. I think Mauricio as a player has more potential than Ramirez, but like you said, where would he fit in? We've got Lindor on a 10-year contract. I don't want Jeff McNeil going anywhere. And, you know, I mean, they have also got Guillaume, who I don't know if Guillaume will be an everyday player for the next however many years for the Mets. But just looking up the middle, you've got McNeil at second, who even though he's a free agent after this year, I think is a guy you have to re-sign, especially with the chemistry him and Alonzo have. And then you've got Lindor at short, and uh, he's already locked up for a decade-long deal. So Mauricio, I, personally, 
I don't think they're going to have to give up as much as Mauricio or Ramirez for Josh Bell. I, I don't think so either. I'm just saying if the Mets don't land him, you'd have to imagine the price is the reason why. Or you look at the other options, right? Because we talked about Mancini, but it's been reported today. Shout out to my buddy, Michael Marino, good friend of mine. He's like a little bit of an independent reporter, but you know, a lot of people have doubted him before, but I found it funny because he was also the same man who broke the Jacob DeGrom news today that we'll be discussing here shortly. And Michael also discussed how the Mets have shown plenty, like a good amount, an overwhelming amount of interest, and not just Trey Mancini, but Jorge Lopez as well, the stud right-hand reliever from Baltimore. So I discussed it with you previously. You know, if the Mets are going to do a deal, there's always potential for a blockbuster package. You know, if you can kill two birds with one stone, you might as well attempt to do that. And while Baltimore is in kind of a win-now stage right now, not win-now, but they're a fringe playoff team at the moment, I still expect them to sell. I think Mancini, now is the time to jump on his trade value before he's a rental next year after assumably signing the mutual option this offseason. So you get Mancini, who has nine home runs on the year now. He's right around 800 OPS. He's really strong, especially against both righties and lefties. He comes in the Mets, and you get Jorge Lopez, who has a 1.62 ERA on the year. He's been killing it for Baltimore's bullpen. So, again, when you're weighing options, Bell's my guy 100%, but then you take a scenario where Mancini and Lopez. Now, what's your opinion on something like that? Would you be maybe in more favor of that route versus, say, just Bell? Maybe you can get it cheaper and doing a package deal for Lopez and Mancini than you would getting someone like Bell and a reliever elsewhere from a separate club. So what's your what's your thoughts on that, Joe? I still want Bell and Robertson more than Mancini and Lopez. I also think that the asking price might be more because you're asking Baltimore to stop winning this season. Now, look, I know that they're still in last place, but the Orioles do have an outside shot at making the playoffs. And given how bad that organization, that franchise has been, for the better part of a half decade by now, making the playoffs period is a win for the Baltimore Orioles. Whether they actually make any noise in the playoffs or not, making it is a win. And I don't know if they're going to want to throw that away because if they deal Lopez and if they deal Mancini, they're throwing that away. So I don't know if they're going to give those two guys up for a cheaper package than maybe Bell individually and Robertson individually. I think David Robertson is quite literally going to cost the Mets pennies i think I don't, chicago what are they going to get for a 37 year old reliever in a walk year who's probably not happy with his current situation because he's not going anywhere and he knows that his days in the mlb are limited so i Robertson's, think one one or two out of top 10 prospects is what i'm thinking that much for robertson no shot in hell i'm one thinking two, a top, like i'm thinking one maybe top 15 or 20 prospect i'm thinking oh yeah i said out, i said out of top 10 yeah I, not, i'm not not even like a top 10 yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I don't, not, not in top 10. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, Robertson's going to cost nothing. Uh, I mean, and then, you know, Bell would probably cost a little more, especially because of who you're dealing with here. But again, a guy who probably doesn't want to be there, probably not happy, not going anywhere, not re-signing with him next year. It's like, you know, the Orioles, they could have another year of Mancini. And they probably will look to bring back Lopez. So I, I don't see the Orioles, uh, you know, dealing those guys cheaper than Bell and Robertson, even if those are two separate individual trades. You know, I tend to agree with you, not so much on Mancini, but actually Lopez, just because he's under team control until like 2025. So especially for a Baltimore team that's like on the up and up, they have a lot of reliever options that I like, but Lopez being at the top of the list, you know, they might want to commit to him a little bit longer term, knowing that they actually have something brewing here and can utilize him in the pen in the years going forward while they continue to get a better 
continue to be a better team on the up and up there in the ALE. So, no, I, I'm 100% agreement on you. I want Robertson and I want Bell. Believer and batter wise, we're in 100% on the same wavelength. My point that I'm trying to make is that there's so many options out there for the Mets. So I'm saying that I, I think the best way to put it is that even if they don't maybe get the exact guys that we're hoping for, it doesn't change the fact that they could have a substantial impact. And to actually list all top 10 briefly for people that haven't listened to pod before, especially yeah. haven't watched on YouTube. It's the following. Juan Soto's at the top of the list. Mets have been in on there. One of multiple teams, of course. Then you have Josh Bell, Nelson Cruz, Andrew Benatendi, which is a very interesting one that I've discussed in a previous video. Daniel Vogelback, that again is more of a platoon option for them. Mancini and Lopez from Baltimore. CJ Crone, the man who was an all-star, has roughly 70 home RBIs this year. However, his home and road splits have been brutal playing out of cores. Robertson and Andrew Chafin is the latest one. Chafin, who I absolutely love. Shout out Pat Ragazzo, my man on the beat for the Mets through Sports Illustrated. Came out later tonight as of just a couple hours ago. At the, and it's at 1.12 a.m. Eastern recording this one. Um, he said that, yes, according You're to... You're a trooper, person, by the way. I, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> but Andrew Chafin is uh, a fit for the Mets. And I know that you're looking at three teams that are the best reliever options for the Mets. You have the Cubs with David Robertson, which I think is most... I think David Robertson, I will go as far as to say that he is almost a lock to land with the Mets. Not just because of Billy Epler's long-time connection. Let's not forget, Epler was the factor in helping scout and draft Robertson with the Yankees years ago. Long-time assistant GM for the Yanks under Brian Cashman. Have that great relationship. Have that relationship still now. But then you also have the Baltimore Orioles. They have between five and six relievers that could benefit this Mets team now if they are just willing to sell a little bit. That's a big key, right? I think that they will to what degree we'll see. But then you have Detroit, Gregory Soto, Michael Fulmer, part of that Yohannes Cespedes trade a couple of years ago. And then the man that I won in the offseason that unfortunately the Mets missed out on and Andrew Chafin. That's the big South, Paul. That would be amazing for this pen. Just over two year raid this year. So what's your take on all these names, especially Andrew Chafin? Because, I mean, bullpen-wise, if the Mets are going to land a lefty, he's pretty much my guy. It's hard to argue that there's a lot of other great options out there. Maybe Joe Mantiply among some others, but Andrew Chafin, not just for the mustache. I love that man. I want him in Queens. Yeah, Chafin surprised me, honestly, because I was thinking when we got to the 10th guy that you were going to list, the first nine, I, I figured, assumed all of them. And I was thinking Mantiply was going to be the 10th. I hadn't seen the report yet mm. about Chafin. So I was really thinking it was going to be Joe Mantiply and not just, you know, because he and I shared the same name and it's a fucking amazing name. But I think <laughs> Mantiply belongs in New York. Um, no, look, if, if I could pick one reliever, do the Mets need uh, left-handed help in the bullpen? Absolutely. I'm more inclined when this rotation is healthy and Jacob deGrom is back. Yeah. I'm more inclined to get that from David Peterson and if I'm yeah. going to go out and trade now, look, Mantiply shouldn't be expensive either. And and I don't know I agree. about yeah. Chafin's contract situation as well as Mantiply's. Um, I've looked into Mantiply a lot more. I don't Chafin's know on a multi-year deal, but that's it. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. What, I don't know what he would cost exactly, but you know, Robertson's going to cost pennies, and he's still the top guy on my list in terms of bullpen help because there's a lot of factors here. I know he's not a lefty, but he's having a great year, right? He knows how to pitch in New York. I will take that a step further. He knows how to pitch in October in New York. Bingo, bingo, bingo. Having Robertson and Adovino taking turns in the seventh, eighth inning leading into Diaz is going to be, I don't care what the combined age is there. Both of them will be 38 by the time the playoffs roll around. Doesn't mean anything. They know how to pitch in New York and they know how to pitch in New York 
in the month of October and this year in the month of November as well. I mean, I want veteran leadership. I want guys who are poised. I want guys who are made for the moment. Right now, I'm sorry. I love him. Seth Lugo is not made for the moment. Right now, another guy I love, Drew Smith, is not made for the moment. Now, two guys that we both rave about and love, Colin Holderman and Adonis Medina, they might be made for the moment, but we don't know for sure because they've never been in that moment. And is that a risk worth taking right from the jump? You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, look, I, I, I still, right now, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to Medina or Holderman making a postseason roster over a Lugo. Or a oh, Drew I agree. Smith. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, Absolutely. that's just me. That's just going with the hot hand, the, literally yep. the hot arm. Uh, but Robertson and Adovino are the sure things that the Mets need leading into Diaz. You know, in 2015, the Mets had a sure thing for most of the second half, Tyler Clippard, and then he got hurt. Yeah. And if you look at two of Juris Familia's three blown saves in the World Series, he came into situations where two of those three blown saves are not his fault. Game one, he gave up the home run to Gordon. That's his fault. The last two, he came in guys in scoring position less than two outs. One of them was Harvey, obviously, in game five. The other was Clippard in game four. So Clippard, you know, he got hurt, slipped in the locker room, hurt his back. He wasn't that lockdown eighth inning guy. The Mets don't need just one. The Mets need two lockdown seventh, eighth inning guys. And Robertson and Adovino give them that so that the earlier innings, if needed, can belong to the Lugo, Smith, Medina, Holderman, whoever. But, you know, with this rotation, hopefully you're going starters for six right into an Adovino, Robertson, Diaz combination. How you doing? Yeah, I love that. And, no, you're right, especially when looking at, you know, the starters turn relievers. Now, I mean, when you look at how well Pearson has been so far, I mean, he's making things a little difficult. You know, we're going to get into the DeGrom discussion in a segment. This man is striking out batters like – no tomorrow. It's ridiculous how well David Pearson has pitched, I would say, for the vast majority of the season for the Mets. I'm loving every second of it. I hope it continues for how long he's in the rotation. But yeah, I mean, lefty-wise, Andrew Chafin has been my guy. I would love him in Queens. I would love a lot of relievers out there, but David Robertson, what's so special about him and why further to amplify not just what his great experience, this guy kills lefties just as much as he kills righties. There's no drastic difference. His splits are almost identical, as a matter of fact. Some of his off-speed pitches aren't even getting hit at a 100 average clip by lefties. So, I mean, when you look at what Davey Robertson's doing, coming back after a couple so-so years, had two-and-a-half-year array last year with Tampa, he's really taking things back to the fine wine that he, again, once was during his time in his long tenure with the Yankees. And for Adovino, I love what Adovino has done this year. I have to be honest with you, though, I still don't trust Adam Adovino in high-leverage situations down the stretch. He's been notorious in recent years, especially come playoff times, for blowing those situations. So I want Adovino in more of the seventh-inning role. I don't want him as a setup as much. And that's where David Robertson comes in perfectly as that setup man for Edwin. If Edwin, again, maybe he pitched three days in a row, you need a different guy for the save, throw in David in there. He's done it plenty of times. He's done perfectly fine for the Cubs this year. That's the man. I'm with you, Josh Bell, David Robertson. If the Mets do that, I think that is as good of a slam dunk of a trade deadline as they will come. And again, if they do some of these other options, I don't think they're bad either. But you and I are both on the same wavelength of what we think is best for this team, not named Juan Soto. Absolutely, man. Let's get into Jake. What's the latest on DeGrom throwing 60 pitches last night? So again, shout out my guy, Michael, because again, a lot of people were questioning him saying if his report was accurate. Michael Marino on Twitter was the first to report Jacob DeGrom and his stats from his sim game today. So if he's watching a shout out to you, my man, but exactly what happened with DeGrom that we saw, let me hear, I have my notes. 
he threw 60 pitches that we saw over four innings, right, in his sim game. In case you guys don't know, he was pushed two days for his sim game, was supposed to pitch back on Tuesday, had some shoulder soreness, which I know might seem crazy, but yeah, pitchers get sore, especially when they're not in the same routine for a year straight, which is Jake. You know this very well, Joe, so I want your opinion on this because people thought Sky was following for DeGrom. When we saw this report, even though he's catching and throwing fine the next couple days, the Mets did his precautionary. Taiwan Walker's famously said that he's sore after every start still because he hasn't had a normal career for the vast majority of his career for multiple years now, pitching a full season. But Jake, again, he won four innings. He faced 13 batters, and guess how many he struck out, Joe? 13 batters, 11. 10. So you're close. All yeah, right. Struck out 10. He's feeling great. We're going to await word on when he'll return. He is matched up as of now to return Wednesday, the second game of the Subway series in which Mad Max is as of now probably going to go in the first game. So we'll wait and see. We'll wait on that announcement. We'll discuss it further in our next episode of Believe in Queens. But yeah, Joe, whoa, what's, whoa, hold what's on, your hold on. Did you just say Mad Max is going in the first game of the Subway series? He may. Yeah, he may. That, isn't he pitching Friday? That would be impossible. Yeah. That would be three days rest. Okay, then maybe he would go Wednesday if he goes four. Interesting, because that's what I was hoping for. But you said that, what's the deal with the rotation? Let, let, let's mix these two segments, DeGrom okay. and Padres. Okay. What, what's the latest rumor on the Mets rotation for the Padres? Mets, ro Mets rotation for Padres, nah, uh, for Padres isn't even rumor. Pretty sure it's accurate now. Game one is Mad Max. Game two is going to be Chris Bass. And game three is Cookie Carrasco which would have Taiwan Walker currently lined up for one of the two games against the, in the Subway Series, all depending on the status of Jacob DeGrama when he returns. Right. So then there's no way Max would go against the Yankees because they're not going to bump Walker out of the rotation. Like if, if a guy was going to get don't bumped. Have to, they don't have to bump Walker, but they might kick Peterson out of this rotation. No, no, no. I'm not even factoring Peterson in, my man. If DeGrom is back. we have an off day. You know that. Yeah, yeah. So if DeGrom okay. is back, so even with the off day, you've got – Scherzer goes Friday. You've got Saturday, Sunday, Monday off. So Scherzer, after Tuesday, could then pitch Wednesday, right? Yes. Yeah. But then DeGrom wouldn't be pitching against the Yankees. Potentially, yes. Because they're not going to skip Walker. So you're not going to – if Scherzer's going Friday, which has been confirmed, then you're not going to get DeGrom and Scherzer against the Yankees. So I just want to make that very clear for everyone who's watching, everyone who's listening. Because that would mean Taiwan Walker gets skipped. And he was our best pitcher for the entirety of the first half. I say entirety because Scherzer was injured. Um, and he's not getting skipped. So right now, I guess the best case scenario is Jake comes back for the Yanks. You get DeGrom Walker against the Yankees. Or if Jake's still not ready for whatever reason, maybe you get Walker Tuesday, Scherzer Wednesday. But you're not going to get Max and Jake. That, that's been I, I think I think that as of now, there's maybe even a further likelihood that Jake doesn't return until the Marlins series. If they stretch them a little bit yeah. farther. Yeah, but the yeah, but the only because the only way you're gonna get max with the Yankees is if it's Walker Tuesday, Max Wednesday. Yeah, it was interesting because I saw like early like preliminary reports on it earlier today, and I was trying to do the math in my head. It didn't make sense. So it's gonna be I'm I'm really curious to see how the subway series is gonna match up. We're gonna deep dive it again when it happens. That's gonna be so much fun. But you know, we talked about Jake. We're excited. He looks like he's healthy, ready to go to finally return back to this Mets rotation. But before we get there, let's talk about the series that's on hand tonight at the time. Are you guys watching and listening to this one against the San Diego Padres? And I've got a decent amount of say on this Padres series. But one thing that I actually do would, would like to make clear is one of the roster moves that have going into this Padres series, and that's Dom Smith being on the IL, in case you guys don't know, retroactive to when he hurt his ankle. And the Cubs series, he'll be returning, I think, I think the earliest is 27th. I could be wrong 
Um, but Travis Blankenhorn will be looking like he'll have that roster spot now. Blankenhorn, who's done a great job in AAA for the Mets. At, he can be in DH, which is simply what he would be at. He can play in the infield, outfield, a lot of spots for Blankenhorn. But he has 12 home runs, 43 RBIs on the year with a 276 average and an 890 OPS in AAA. So left-handed power bat that the Mets are trying to give you know a taste of, see what he can do while Dom is out. Uh, the Mets have aggressively been shopping Dom Smith, in case you aren't aware of that too, folks, for people listening. The Red Sox and the Chicago Cubs have shown certain levels of interest. And Dom Smith even could be dealt in a deal that would potentially land Vogel back either by himself or potentially someone else. So it's going to be interesting to see the future of Dom Smith, but I think it's safe to say that his time in Queens is surely done. Any takes on that, Joe, before we deep dive this Padres series? I mean, yeah, look, I love Dom, but it's just, you know, we, we can't be going. I think as well, we're recording this, it's July 21st for me, 22nd for you by now. Uh, but isn't July 21st? Didn't that mark a calendar year for Dom without a home run? I yeah, mean, we, we, we can't we can't be having that. I love Dom Smith. I wish him the best wherever he goes, even if he ends up going to the Nationals in a deal. I mean, you know, obviously, I hope he goes over against us, but I hope he he has a good career. He's a likable guy. He's, uh, you know, he's worked his ass off for the Mets. He came in. He was a lanky 17 year old. Obviously, everyone knows. Everyone remembers. He got huge. He blew up. And then he worked his ass off to get right. To My get man couldn't get sleep. It was as simple as that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he worked really hard to get back on track. Had some moments where he was a great hitter. I believe in that COVID shortened 2020 season. Oh, he, he really shot his baseball. I mean, so, you know, I love Dom. It sucks because this is a guy who I want on the team. But at the end of the day, when you're trying to win a World Series, there's just unfortunately not a spot for Dom on this team. So, look, I wish him nothing but the best. Um, but if he's in a if he's in a deal for Josh Bell, you know him and our thirty fifth prospect, uh, I'll I'll gladly sign off on that deal. And I think I think I'm actually I, I think we're idiots for not mentioning that sooner, right? Because when it makes sense for the Nationals, if they're going to part with Bell, a yeah. rental first baseman, you get a great glove in Don that you have control over until twenty twenty five that off season, and then you get again a really low prospect along with him. I think that's actually really feasible, and I'm kind of annoyed that we didn't mention that earlier. From be quite honest with you, but again. It is what it is. We discussed it now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Nationals get what they want. A cheap, club-controllable guy yep. and a chance for him to hurt the team that let him go. Well, I was going to say 19 times a year, but next year, I don't know, now that they're doing that crappy NBA. Yeah, it's not even going to matter as much, which should further be a factor in yeah. why Soto being traded in the division shouldn't matter as much either. But again, can we, more- can we go on a quick tangent? I fucking <laughs> hate that rule, the, the new scheduling. Really? I you do. hate it. Oh, and, and this is coming from a guy who will have now more opportunities to see the Mets because they'll play the Angels every year. Now, they won't play them home and home like they do in the NBA and the NHL. It won't be guaranteed the Mets come to Angel Stadium every year, but they might do it every other year as opposed to every sixth or every ninth year. So, I, I mean, I should be happy about this in a selfish way that I'll get to see the Mets even more than just yeah. Dodgers Padres. But it's so stupid. I mean, you're going to dilute divisional games that much to the point where they mean nothing. What are the Mets going to play? The Braves, Nats, Marlins, and Phils? Like, what? Not, I mean, I guess maybe 12 games a year? Maybe less? Maybe eight? Uh, it, it's ridiculous. I hate it. See, I'm glad you're saying this because I'm on the complete opposite side of the spectrum. Like, I love the divisional matchups. However, I get tired of them a lot, too. I'm not going to lie. I know the significance of them, and they're great. But, I mean, when you have a month span of basically the same opponent time and time again, I'm not going to lie. I get tired of it, personally. So, the idea of facing teams for the first time that I've never – like, I – 
I've watched every single team in baseball, but it gives me as a fan, a baseball fan, not just of the Mets, but the MLB, more of a reason to start to tackle on and follow more other teams intensely. So that is my interest level from it. I think it will grow the game better. I think it's going to get more people involved, expand fan bases. I think that this has great potential. I think it's going to suck for broadcasters. I think it's going to suck for fans that have to watch games on different coasts all the time, which is going to be the case for me and even for you as well at times for sure. But it's it's going to suck for players too with the more traveling than probably what they're accustomed to in a normal 162 season. But I do think that there are benefits here the same way that I think there are negatives. So that's my take. I'm not as harsh on the divisional aspect the way that you are just because I, I want to see the Mets play some random ass teams that we've like never seen them play before or Seattle that hasn't been in city field since it was Shea stadium. Right. I mean, that stuff is fun for me. Um, maybe I'll get tired of it quick, but again, that's a to be determined situation. But don't you remember the stat you rattled off a couple episodes ago about how the team yeah. in the NL East with the best record yeah. against NL East opponents has won yeah. the division. How many straight years? That's going to be different now though. You got to really going to matter as much. I, I yeah. mean, look, maybe exactly. 19 games versus each is overkill. Although right now I'd like 162 against the nationals, but maybe 19 games versus each opponent is overkill, but it's got to be at least 12. I mean, it's going to be less than 12 now, right? Cause that's, 28 games against I don't know I genuinely have no idea alluded to even less than 12 I mean come on you got to have at least two you know two home series and two away series versus your divisional opponents every year I just man I think this new scheduling is is awful I think it's part of Manfred's plan to move to change leagues yes to to go from national and American to east and west and I hate that I do yeah. not want the Mets and Yankees in the same division. Yeah, the Subway that, Series, yeah. World Series, heartbreaking, obviously, that the Mets lost it. But one of the best things for baseball and the chance that we have, you know, the, the fact that we have an opportunity at that again this year. I mean, the I Mets and like Yankees the cannot be amplif- I feel like in that scenario, the rivalry would even amplify further, I think, just because they're matching up more. But no, the but they same- wouldn't be, though. But, but no, they no, wouldn't no, be no, because no, they're no. cutting out so many divisional games. Oh, that's – no, no, you're right. You're right. So, yeah, so you're I going think from six times it, a year it, to what, I think eight? if anything, it waters down the entire experience behind Subway Series. Yeah, I, I yeah. absolutely could not hate it more. Seeing the Mets and the Dodgers in a World Series, uh, I mean, would be Ugh. disgusting. No, like, I, I look – I, I hope we don't get to that point. Uh, not to not to try to be a conformist and being old heads with like in baseball a certain way, but yeah, we like baseball a certain way to a degree. I yeah. think all and fans Manfred's do. And a clown. And, and I mean, I come mean, on, like Joe, just, Joe, just Joe, to... we, Joe. We can go t- hours on end talking about Manfred. Okay, trying to change I, the wrong parts of the goddamn game. let's focus on what's in front of us before we wrap up the show. And that's this Padres series, all right? Because this is a big pitching matchup starting tonight. By the time you guys are watching and listening, Mad Max on the bump. Something fun about Mad Max facing Padres is he wasn't able to do that last time. He was out with injury back last time. The Mets faced the Padres in San Diego. They lost two or three games. And this is the time for the Mets to redeem themselves from what was a fluky series that didn't benefit them from the jump. You saw Pete Alonso get hurt. Starley Marte get hurt. Multiple injuries in that series. And that was frustrating. And right from the jump, you knew the Mets were kind of screwed when that happened, along with Chris Bassett not having his stuff, having his worst start of the season that we'll get into here shortly. So, I mean, it's important. It's, it's not a must for the Mets to come out and prove different than what that series was because those injuries, in my opinion, were a heavy factor in why the Mets fared the way that they did. But now it's time to show that, hey, a healthy Mets team against this Padres team 
Padres who struggled mightily a lot the past month. They have not been rolling as much as they previously were earlier in the year when Machado being out with injury, dealing with his injuries among others, got other guys being inconsistent. But you get this Mad Max matchup, and that's definitely going to be a big one for this Mets team because Mad Max, again, hasn't faced the Padres yet this year. He's coming off of a start against the Chicago Cubs where he had 11 strikeouts. That's kind of a good thing. That's definitely not a bad thing, right? I mean, Max has struck at a minimum, feels like 10-plus batters in each of his first three starts. Nine. You have- yeah, nine-plus, man. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Max is 6-1 and one with a 2.22 year round the year. Facing you, Darvish. Darvish is having a decent season, 8-4 and four with a 3.41 year, right? Pretty solid. Let's not forget, Darvish is a man that drilled the Mets like a bazillion times in that game that led to the injuries, that led to the injury with Alonzo and then Marte separately when he was on the base pass. Darvish went seven strong against the Mets last time they matched up, only giving up two hits, six strikeouts, zero earned runs, and what was a horrendous game for the Amazons all round. So this is going to be a big matchup. I cannot wait to see Matt Max on the bump. He's going to be wearing the black jersey as well. I'm uh, every time Max wears his black uniform. Oh. I mean, you're just yeah, you're biting your hand. You're Turn doing me Leonardo, on, baby. You're doing the Leonardo DiCaprio from uh, Wolf of Wall Street. That's exactly what you're doing. But then we got in game two, and this is going to be another interesting matchup. One that on paper, I'm sorry, the Mets don't win this game. I'm going to be a little pissed off. You got Blake Snell on the mound. Snell's a bum this year, especially on the road. Let's be honest. He's a shell what he once was. This guy's focusing too much on his gaming, unlike Trevor May. Trevor May's coming back from injury soon, by the way. Shout out to Trev. Uh, Snell, wait. what's that? I can't wait for Trevor to come back. Yeah, he pitched a, he pitched a scoreless inning today in the sim game, by the way. There he looked go. good. There so go. um, good, Snell, however. Good sim game. Yeah, exactly. Snell, however, it was 1-5 on the year with a 5.22 year ride. Faced the Mets in that San Diego series. Gave up five runs, four earned, four strikeouts, three walks. And four innings pitched. Snell again there. has really struggled this year. You were there, so I think you have a good idea, a good sense of what Blake Everything Snell is. Everything you just Joe. said was true. Everything you just said was true. I was there. I witnessed it with my own eyes. Snell sucked against the Mets. <laughs> exactly. So I can't wait to see more of the same Saturday. And he's going to be matching up against a man that's looking to not suck this second time around against these Padres, and that is Chris Bassett. And as we discussed, Bassett is on the come up. He's coming back looking better. Bassett's 7-6 on the year with 3.79 year right. Last time he matched up against Padres, though, really rough outing. 3.1 innings pitched, seven earned runs. That was the worst. That was the bottom of the barrel, the worst part of Bassett's season. He has thankfully come up and has risen to a good degree since then. Bassett at home, I like those chances. And against Snell, by God, lock that in as a win. If the Mets waste this game, I'm going to be pretty pissed off. Everything just from the starting pitching matchup alone should be a locked W for this team, Joe. Anything to expand there? No, man. I mean, look, and, and you know, you, you look at those first two matchups, right? Darvish obviously pitched a great game against us last time we were out there, but he knocked Marte and Alonzo out of the game in the first fucking inning. So when you take that, and you pair that with the fact he's going up against Scherzer. I think it's a big revenge game. If the Mets can get uh, started on the right foot to start the second half, Friday night with this game, tonight rather with this game, then Saturday, jump on Snell. Bam, it's what you got to do. You got to take the first two here. I'm sick of the Mets losing game twos. I know that they've had an amazing year. They're on pace for 101 wins. I'm not going to bash them. I'm not going to get down on them. But I'm kind of tired of losing game twos. Even though we're the best team in the MLB when it comes to rubber games, don't get to a rubber game, guys. Go take the first two here because then Sunday it's Musgrove, right? Yeah, Sunday is where we have potentially the biggest issue by far. Joe Musgrove, who's having a borderline scion season this year for the Padres. I mean, I'm not, that's going to be a tough matchup. You got Cookie Carrasco on the bump. And granted, 
Cookie, who's 10 and 4 in the year with a 4.29 year right, did look damn good in the Mets' one win against the Padres this season, going seven strong, only giving up two earned runs. That was the Eddie Escobar cycle game. What an electric game that was. One of Escobar's big highlights this year. The one I was He's at. Exactly. That's that's the man that I'm looking to ball out and have hopefully a strong second half year for the Mets, along with some others. But you get Joe Musgrove, and Musgrove 8 and 2 on the year, 2.42 ERA. Musgrove is what Mad Max Scherzer is to the Mets this year. He is a lock of a W almost every time he's out on the bump. Except as of late. Except as of late. Joe Musgrove, since he came off the COVID list, and, and these are two key Padres I'm looking at this series. Yes. Joe Musgrove, since he got off the COVID list, he's 0-2 in four starts. The team is just 1-3 in in those four starts. And he's got an ERA over five in his last four. You're telling me there's a chance, Joe. So I'm telling you, coming into this, Cookie Carrasco is the hotter pitcher in this matchup. Carrasco hasn't had a bad outing since his back-to-back Astros starts. He's been hotter over his last three, four starts than Joe Musgrove has. And then the other Padre. I want to look at on the offensive side of things because he looks on paper like a 270 hitter. That's Eric Hosmer. Eric Hosmer was hitting 380 not too long ago. In his last 50 games, Hosmer is hitting 213, two home runs, just 11 ribeye stakes. Eric Hosmer is a guy that you have to absolutely exploit in the middle of that Padres lineup. Look, Machado is going to get you once or twice this series. I don't mean one or two long balls, but you know, a couple extra base hits. Machado's a professional hitter, right? He's on pace to be a Hall of Famer, one of the best hitters of this generation. One of the most flew- underrated hitters of this generation, I would say. Yeah, who I was just going to say, who flew under the radar for so long because exactly. of playing in Baltimore and, and in the last few years in San Diego. You know, but Machado's a beast. He doesn't have much around him, guys. He doesn't have much around him. Cronenworth, I mean, he made the all-star team as the fourth second baseman in the National League to make it, right? Like, I don't think Cronenworth... Offers a whole lot. He's good, but no one in this lineup outside of Manny Machado, in my opinion, really scares you, right? I mean, Hosmer hitting 213 in his last 50 games. That's not a small sample size, guys. That's more than half the season now. He's actually struggled for more of this season than the once 380 hitter was thriving in. Luke Voigt, I mean, you know, he might get you for a long ball. He hit one off Drew Smith when the Mets were up like five or six the game I was at, that Snell game. It came in garbage time. It meant nothing. You know, he's got great pop, but also struggles in clutch moments. Also easy guy to strike out. It's like, this is not an intimidating lineup to me, right? So if you can win the pitching battles, I mean, that's what it should come down to. It's not like San Diego is going to go light up Scherzer. Yeah. I mean, fingers crossed. Let's, I'm going to knock on wood. I always believe in jinxes, but I, I'm, feeling I, but pretty, I do, I'm feeling pretty confident and I'm a little superstitious too, but yeah. I'm feeling really confident. I, I will say there is one thing that I believe in more than potential jinx. I do believe in Mad Max Scherzer. I mean, what do you just look at what he's done through his first three starts back from his injury, regardless on it, who he's facing, right? It was the Reds. It was the Cubs. Oh yeah. It was the Braves too. If he can shut them down the way that he did, I'm feeling pretty damn confident about what he can do against a Padres team that has been pretty up and down over the past month plus of the baseball that they played. And looking ahead now for this Mets, not just for the Padres series, but down the stretch to really recap, uh, to preview, I should say, the second half before we wrap up the show. This is going to be interesting for the Mets. You know, in the month of July here, as it's wrapping up, we get to August. The Mets have a lot of matchups. They face the Yankees multiple series, as we see. They face the Dodgers for a little bit as well. They face plenty of Braves. Guys, the Mets play the Braves over nine games in like a two-week span. Like there's a lot. Isn't it a five-game series? There's a five-game series. And And then then a four-game? Yeah, it's literally, it's ridiculous. Talk about scheduling. This is going to 
This is going to be wildfire. So the Mets. Well, it's because they missed Braves games with the season starting a week. Yes. Ago. Yeah, exactly. So like this is going to be huge for the Mets. This month of August can, I think, I, I'm not, the, this isn't going to make or break them. I'm confident the Mets always, but when looking at matchups, this is arguably the Mets hardest schedule of the season outside of what we saw in June. And then it's September and then it's September on paper. It's their easiest schedule. So the Mets have to weather the storm here. You know, they need to do their best to stay above 500, just like what they did in June. And this is, again, now with a Mets team that has a healthy Mad Max Scherzer to back them, something they didn't have in June. Jacob deGrom, healthy, assumably back in this rotation. And anything and everything that they do at this year's trade deadline to kick off the month of August. So they're going to have reinforcements like never before. This team should be deeper like never before. And that should hopefully help propel them to stay afloat in what is going to be quite the battle in the month of August to round out the season to get into September and what should be an easy schedule for them. So, Joe, any final remarks on this second-half outlook for the Mets and, you know, if there's anything to be concerned by or just simply the Mets control their own destiny? Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. No concerns at all, man. The Mets are in control of their own destiny, and this is why I love baseball scheduling the way it is right now. Because in the NBA, the Lakers and Warriors, any divisional rivals in basketball, play each other four times. So the Lakers can go 4-0 against the Golden State Warriors. But if the Warriors play five games better than the Lakers against the rest of the NBA, the Warriors will win that division, Mm -hmm. right? The Mets, if you want to win the National League East, which is, guys, make no mistake about it, this is one of the best divisions in baseball. I mean, look, I know that, you know, the Nationals are the worst team in baseball right now, but you look at the top four. Oh, they're good. They're good. You got three playoff teams right now. Uh, atop the NL East and two legit World Series contenders in one division, two legitimate World Series contenders. I don't know if any other division has two legit World Series contenders. In fact, I don't think another division does. I don't think the Padres are legit World Series contenders. I don't think the Cardinals are. I don't think that anyone in the AL East, I mean, Toronto has fallen off uh, abysmally. I don't think anyone in the AL East at this point is a World Series contender except the Yankees. So the NL East is the only division with two World Series contenders. They've got three playoff teams right now. This is a tough division. And what are you going to have to do to win the division? You're going to have to beat your division. I know it's going to be overkill when the Mets have nine games and like 12 or 11 yeah, that, or 13 that can, games. That can, that can either really lock things in or can make things so up in the air. It can yeah, really but you know lock. what? But, but that's the beauty of it, too, though. It's, it's like, you know, whatever happens, you know, God forbid the Mets go 0-9 against Atlanta. Whatever happens... <laughs> They're going to deserve it. If they beat the Braves, they're going to deserve winning the NL East. If they lose, they're going to deserve coughing it up a 10-game lead June 1st and being a wild card. You know, whatever happens, it's going to be deserved. So I love the fact that in baseball, more than any other sport, I mean, football may be percentage-wise, but the schedule is so so small, 17 games. But in baseball, more than any other sport, you have to beat your divisional rivals to win that division. And also, winning your division in baseball means more than it does in a sport like basketball or hockey, where come the playoffs, they just seed you one to eight, regardless of where you finished in your division. In baseball, if you're an 84-win division winner, you're going to have home field over a 106-win wildcard team. You know? You know what's so exciting about these Braves matchups coming up? What? It's after the trade deadline. Yeah. That, that's going to be who, – who knows – what the Mets team is going to look like. Who knows what the Braves are going to look like. The you know, Braves we, won the deadline last year. Exactly. Man. The are, the, are the Mets going to win this year? You know, let's let's find out. Yeah. It's going to it's going to be big. But Joe, I think we hit the nail on the head with everything today. A plethora of topics, and 
I'm really excited to discuss what is going to happen after this series, previewing the Subway series. But let's start with the Mets back. It felt so long. feels so good to be back from this All-Star break. And let's get this second half rolling, baby. So to everyone listening, watching, wherever you get your podcasts, thank you guys so much. This was Episode 7 of Believe in Queens. Find us here on YouTube on the Wardy NYM YouTube channel. Find us wherever you get your podcasts, you know, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, all that fun stuff. iHeartRadio, we are there, I promise you. And stay tuned that hopefully this will be either the last or second to last episode that we have. Just Joe and I. Not that I don't love Joe, but we are going to have a former New York Met as our third co-host. So stay tuned for that announcement. It's going to be electric. And Joe, anything else for us? Find me on Twitter at the Joe Serralo. Find me on Instagram at Joe Serralo. And check out my national radio show, which airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern on SportsMap Radio, Serralo Sports Talk, the podcast version of that. It's the radio show without commercials. It's exactly what you guys want. That drops Friday morning. So with this being a Friday episode, my podcast is out. It was yesterday's national radio show. Check it out. My man, Casey Stern, who, of course, has been a host MLB on TBS, NBA on TNT. He's a Long Island guy like myself. Born and raised. fan, baby. Diehard Mets fan like myself. Guys, the whole show is Mets, Juan Soto, and Casey and I have a great time. So catch that wherever you get your podcasts as well. Serralo Sports Talk. You see my last name on the screen. Actually, Tyler, did that disappear? C-E-R-A-U-L-O, Serralo Sports Talk. Check it out. We actually, we should we should try to get him on the show sometime. We will. We, a, yeah. we absolutely will. Casey's a host at the Believe Network as well. He's got yep. a show on, unfiltered with Casey Stern. Exactly, so, yeah. I, we, we haven't done, by the way, for everyone watching and listening, if you're still with us as we uh, say, you know, an Italian goodbye, a five-minute goodbye. <laughs> of um, course. <laughs> uh, the reason we haven't had any guests yet is because we're waiting for our co-host, uh, our third host, our former Met, who, you know, the, we're on the five-yard line with contract-wise. We're just waiting for him to join so we can get that aspect of the show going. And then once he's in, we will have four-man shows where there is a guest involved. We'll have former Met players. We'll have, you know, Met employees. We'll have pundits, guys like Casey Stern, who work in sports media and are also Met fans that will all be coming. It's not just going to be me and Tyler every episode as much as, you know, we appreciate you guys bearing with and us. I got to say, the pod's been killing it so far. So shout out every yeah. single one of you guys on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. The fact that we're growing at this strong of a rate this early, I can only imagine where things are going to be once we get our co-host in here, our third one, and all these under interviews. It's just the beginning here. I'm believing Queens, guys. So all I can say is buckle up. It's going to be a fun ride. No doubt. All right. Well, thank you guys so much again for watching, listening, wherever you get your podcast. Believe in Queens, episode seven, and we're out. We'll see you after the Padres series. Joe, let's go Mets, baby. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.